Hey, it's Isabel. You know, independent media is tough. Borderline is entirely self-produced and self-funded. So please consider supporting it by becoming a member on Patreon. You can click become a member on borderlinepod.com or look for Borderline on Patreon. Members get extra content, they get every episode early, and most importantly, they help me keep doing this by making a small pledge each month. Many of you have told me you've been meaning to do this and you keep forgetting and to absolutely keep bugging you, so here's me bugging you. Thank you so much to those who have pledged. Special thanks this week to new member Nora Lamudi. Now on with the episode. My heart has been utterly broken by what has happened to our country. I have reached a point here in which I really feel like I no longer know at least half of my country. I'm Isabel Rogol, and this is Borderline. When things aren't right in your home country, living abroad can feel like a blessing. But it can also come with feelings of powerlessness, a longing for easier days at home, perhaps guilt. So after a roller coaster week, after four difficult years, I wanted to check in with Americans abroad. What have the last four years been like carrying that American identity around the world? How do they feel about the election? Is it time to go back and give back? Or have they moved on forever? I have three American immigrants on the podcast today. Let's hear them introduce themselves first. I'm Lauren Tormey. I live in Scotland and I've lived here for nine years and I'm originally from New Jersey. I'm Sarah Brown. I've been here in London for three years. I grew up in Wisconsin, but most recently lived in California. And I hope to stay here a lot longer. I'm Jeff. I'm a writer based in Istanbul, Turkey. I've been here two years and I've been overseas in different countries for 12 years now. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. And that's Joffrey Kane, by the way. And note on timing, I kept delaying recording this podcast, hoping that we would finally get results from the US election. We finally pulled the trigger on Saturday. And of course, a couple hours after we hung up, we got the final call. But we already knew when recording that Joe Biden was a sure thing as the next president-elect. And you'll see that what we discussed remains absolutely relevant. How's everyone feeling? Exhausted. Utterly exhausted. And impatient, even though I understand the value in patience for our democracy. But for me... Not good. Let's get this over with. Lauren? I think I'm just a bit numb at the moment. I think on election night, I didn't wake up as much as I did 2016. But yeah, it wasn't looking good. The fact that like Florida and Texas were called so early just made me lose hope. In the sense that I know that it seems pretty likely it's going to be called for Biden at the moment, but just the realization that so many people still support Trump. Yes. That's just hard to grapple with. It's not going to feel as good as it should because it's the way it's been dragged out and the fact that there are still so many people voting for him, which is just, yes, it's so sad. Yeah. 70 million of our country, our fellow country people still worship him. 
Yes. So I have to say that it really feels like waking up from a bad dream. I guess it's this mixture of exhaustion and this like surreal sense of what the heck just happened in the last four years in America. Um, and, and actually, the, the night here in Istanbul, uh, I, the, the election was starting in America, uh, the, the counting was starting. I went to sleep. And I, you know, I tried to stay up as late as I could, and then I woke up the, you know, the next morning, eight or nine, nine o'clock or so. I, you know, opened social media, turned on the news, and it was just like everyone was screaming at each other on Twitter. It was just like a free for all of everyone was just so angry and upset. And I, I actually had to spend a couple hours reconstructing the night before that I had missed because I was sleeping. And I guess it was because it, it really all started when Donald Trump did what he said he would do, which was he would try to find a way to, you know, stop the counting or go to the Supreme Court or, uh, or you know, or whatever he had planned. I, I think that my exhaustion is starting to subside now. I'm starting to feel a little better after a few days, after having a little time to process what's been going on and how things are looking. At least we do have a Biden victory. The optimist in me is that uh, I guess we do have a bright side here. And I, I think the bright side is that usually almost every president, no matter how terrible they are, they're almost always reelected for one term. And you know, even authoritarian dictators in places like Isabel, you would know Cambodia, Philippines, here in Turkey, we have a 17 year prime minister. These guys are reelected over and over again, despite being pretty terrible leaders. And mm -hmm. That gives me some hope that at least the system worked in some ways this time. It, it, the system worked in getting this crazy man out of office and getting someone a little more moderate, left center. But it barely worked. Like it, it barely worked. Feels. Yeah. That being said, even if Biden has an acceptance speech, I'm not trusting he's been elected until like he's in the White House. It's still a long time to go until January 20th. And I don't know what's going to happen. Leading up to the election, my thing or the thing I was thinking about was that I thought it was just going to end badly, no matter what the result is. Just thought there was going to be some sort of uprising or riots, no matter who won. And I was more concerned about a Biden win in the sense of what Trump supporters would do. And we've already seen a little bit of that at the moment with this whole election workers being threatened, this whole stop the count protesting stuff. I'm worried about what might happen when the election is officially called for Biden. Yes, I totally agree. It's, you know, the other shoe really has not dropped. And Trump is so nuts that everything that he's done for four years is completely against the norm. And hey, who knows how bad it can get? I think we've all been shocked every time something worse happens. Like, what? And so, you know, now, okay, Biden finally has some sort of speech. And Eric and Don Jr., who are already going ballistic, God only knows. So it's not like we get to relax after the victory has been declared. Yeah. Mm. And I also think that even if Biden does take office in January, I, this populist movement, this authoritarian right wing thing that's going on, I think that it suggests that there will be more Trumps in the future. 
he showed that it works. It works what he does, getting up there, making people angry, playing on their fear and their, I, I guess, their working class poverty, playing on a lot of these political factors. It's a powerful force. And the world now does not look like the world 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I think that we actually have entered a new era where we are going to see the resurgence of more Trumps and, and more populists. They're going to attack the Bidens. They're going to attack the left. And they might come back. It could be after Biden has a term or two. Maybe there's going to be another another real estate developer from Chicago or New York or Los Angeles who thinks he has great ideas, but is really just a, a bit of a narcissist. I should say, I didn't set out to have three Democrats or three pro-Bidens or anti-Trumps, whatever you want to call yourselves, on here. It's just really hard to find pro-Trumps among Americans abroad. I think generally it's a more left crowd, but especially since Trump. So I didn't set out for this, but this is the episode. I wonder, because of that, what have the last four years been like as Americans abroad? I think Americans are already among all expats and immigrants a group apart because of the way that the rest of the world looks at America. But I feel like the last four years must have been extra weird. Well, one of the reasons that I moved to London was Trump's victory. And even though I was living in California, where, you know, I was in that echo chamber and felt fairly safe and secure from the red state stuff going on, I, I just too many nights watching MSNBC and going, I can't handle this. I'm out of here. So moved over to London and was very kind of relieved and also amused that every time I talked to somebody and I said, oh, I just moved here, da, 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 people automatically assumed that I was not a Trumpy, that I was completely a never Trumper. So I never felt any, any issues with that. There were no questions. Everybody just made the assumption that obviously I was not a Republican. But what I did notice that absolutely struck me and left me in tears, I was in Croatia on a boat. And I was approached by this couple who at first thought I was Swedish. Okay. And then I said, you are blonde. <laughs> and then I said, no, I'm, I'm American. And the, the couple who turned out to be French, the man looked at me, he said, I am Muslim. Well, I can't talk Muslim. Do you hate me? Mm. And I just, I had tears streaming and I'm like, no, why do you think I'm over here? And there was this assumption that, I mean, I've been to France a zillion times. I've been to Croatia, you know, whatever. And never once had there been a thought of you're American, so you must hate me for some racist reason. Yeah. So that's, I, and actually I could speak a little more to that living in a Muslim majority country. I, I came here in 2018, my first time. So this was well after the attempted uh, Muslim ban when Trump first took office. But uh, a lot of people here, especially in the more on the, the opposition side, the left-leaning opposition who were more 
I guess, more, you, you could say anti-Islamist, but not anti-Muslim, a little different there. They would talk to me and, and they would tell me like, hey, do you realize that what's happening in America now, it's actually what's been happening in Turkey for the past 25 years. There's a strong man who's emerged, who had all these promises to the people that he was going to help them join the European Union and, and become you know, this leader among the Middle East and, and that Turkey would rise again. It would be a return to the, the days of the Ottoman Empire when Turkey was a prosperous nation. But then as he ascended and took power, he became hateful and angry and he played to this extreme interpretation of Islam, this borderline jihadist thing going on here. I mean, the economy is now in tatters, uh, the currency has collapsed, there's a lot of resentment in this nation, and there is a lot of frustration with the direction that it's gone. And the opposition here, they would talk to me and they would say, you realize that if Donald Trump is, if he is in office for more than one term, and if he manages to lift term limits, it's basically going to be the same thing. There's going to be this rise of this powerful Christian right preaching all these hateful ideas about their religion. The economy is going to tank eventually. The dollar won't be worth anything. America is going to lose its global leadership, and it already has in a lot of ways. So that just scared me. And I actually began studying Turkey's history pretty in depth just to see how a nation could be splintered and divided and turned into something so negative in such a short amount of time. So I'm, I, I'm, the, I'm the oldest immigrant of the group or the oldest expat. So I left, or I've been in Scotland for nine years. And it's, it's funny to be on a podcast talking about this election result because it was actually the 2004 election it was one of the things that first triggered me to think that maybe I need to leave the U.S. <laughs> that was George W. Bush. That was George re-elected. W. Bush. Re-election. When I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you don't look uh, like you voted in 2004. <laughs> no, I did not. But it was like, but I was always like, since age, well, from about 10 was quite like news obsessed. And I was just like, I couldn't believe that he was voted into office after all that had happened. I was just like, oh, just, you know, the real quite elitist thing to do, pass off every American that's being ignorant or whatever, only to move to another another country and realize, oh, ignorant people exist everywhere. But for me, I think the past four years has made me realize how much I've taken for granted certain democratic principles. I didn't think... I would ever be living in a time that the peaceful transfer of power between presidents was something that was put into question and that might not happen. And for me on a personal level, it's been really hard. I've always had conservative family members, but to have conservative family members who support Donald Trump, that's just been hard to watch that. Especially being an immigrant for a president who hurts immigrants coming to America so much. The idea that recognizing that the experience I've had with the UK immigration system, oh, that's terrible what they've been putting you through, Lauren, but like not having any empathy towards people that come to America and like, yeah, being in a really weird state where I'm so far away from these people that when I'm on a, when I'm on a call with someone, with a family member, it's like, how much do I really want to get into this? Because it's just, my relationship is already so much far apart with them because I only see them once a year, if that. I'm living in another country and to just, I don't know, just have to witness the fact that there's people 
that I love and care about that have gotten on board with this. When Donald Trump said he would shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and no one, he would still have supporters. Like it's that level of support. And like, oh, that's just so hard to grapple with. Have any of you lost relationships, broken ties with people back home over this? Oh, yes. (laughs) I have some very old and dear friends from college. And we used to try to set up little Zoom meetings, et cetera. And then one of the friends said, I think we better suspend doing this until after the election. Because there are dear, wonderful friends. One of them lives in Atlanta. She's totally rich. She completely hates what is happening in Georgia. And I imagine that about now, she's flipping out completely. And I went to visit her a couple of years ago. And we, she took me to her fancy, smancy country club in the suburbs of Atlanta. And we were sitting at this table having dinner. And I heard the person at the table next to us say, I need some more wine or I need da 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 da. And this person answered and said, oh, let me get the darkie over here. And I flipped. I, I mean, come on. And so that's the world she lives in. And so we ended up getting into sort of a bit of a conflict in which she sent me this email that had been going around with her red state friends in which the things they said about us, the libtards, were so utterly inaccurate. And aside from just being inflammatory and all of those kind of things, it was so clear to me how different our worlds were and how even though we're longtime old friends and we came from the same neighborhood in Wisconsin, she had moved into this area that I just, I simply could not understand. And so she's not speaking to me much. And I don't know when we will, if ever, resume our friendship. It's the divisions in our nation. It's, I don't know, it feels like it's almost a, it's a cold civil war. I personally haven't stopped talking to family or friends, but I do know Uh, Many people who, you know, have stopped talking to brothers or sisters who are just starting to get back in touch now that the election is winding down. It's troubling because I I just don't know when was the last time America saw a situation like this and it's politics. Was it the civil war itself? Was it two armed sides doing battle over this, these different visions about what America is supposed to be and what it's supposed to stand for? Are we basically going through that same process again. It's just something that I I wonder. I, I don't know. I, I have looked at some of the historical polling numbers recently, and 2000 seems to be the year that was also the most divided, but you still didn't see anything, you know, like what's going on in America right now. Yeah, I was a, um, I was a young immigrant in America in 2001, 2002. So I arrived two weeks before 9-11. So... I remember, I mean, obviously 9-11 actually brought people together, but then the Bush years were extremely divisive. 
And then, you know, I was living between France and America when the, the whole build up to the Iraq war was happening. And obviously I had to put up with the whole Freedom Fries crap. But that feels like nothing next to today. I wonder, do you picture going back to the States at some point? Or are you immigrants or emigrants from the U.S. for life? I'm actually moving to Washington, D.C. in January with my wife, and I'm going to begin work at Congress. Uh, wow. <laughs> That's yeah. Brave. yeah. So, uh, what motivated well, you to do that? So I'm taking a year off from my usual job. So I, I, I do. I'm a foreign correspondent. Um, I, I felt I've been overseas now for 12 years in many different countries. And I decided it's time to go back for one year and just if this is a fellowship, so I'm not actually full time employed by Congress, but I'll be brought in as, as like an outside advisor working on issues in technology and foreign affairs. I don't know what it is yet. I haven't gotten my assignment. But I decided that it's time um, to return just right now, now that the dust is hopefully starting to settle, assuming that Donald Trump is out of office by then. Uh, I think now would be a good time to help out and to try to repair some of the damage that he's done, or at least to do something that would help America advance instead of uh, being stuck, you know, in, in a replay of the Trump years. But anyway, so the reason I decided to do it now is because you know, after being overseas for all these years, I've actually, like, I saw a lot of this coming, like even I moved to Cambodia in 2008. And this was the height of the Obama movement. This was like optimism, we're doing the right thing, we're moving forward, we're making progress. But I started seeing the signals back around then. I mean, there was the economic crash of 08. And there were all these strongmen leaders, these dictators who were just consolidating power, you know, as Obama was becoming the president. And aside in Cambodia, he, that was the year that, that the Cambodian dictator Hun Sen consolidated his total authority over the government. And there were other places I went, even in South Korea, a democracy, Japan. There was one party rule for a long time, the Philippines. Russia. I spent a lot of time in Russia, in Central Asia, the land of dictators. And it was like, people say that America is headed towards a more inclusive democracy, but the entire world is moving in the opposite direction. When Trump won in 2016, I, I was surprised, but I wasn't totally surprised because it seemed like that something like that was going to happen eventually. And so I knew that like eventually seeing Trump win, I got to get back to America and do something there. I have to get involved in some kind of politics or policy and just try to make it a better place. I plan to stay here as long as the home office will give me a visa. Um, I really don't want to go back to the U.S. Part of it is that I love it over here. Obviously, that's a key reason, but I don't my heart has been utterly broken by what has happened to our country. I am old enough to have fought the good fight for George McGovern back, you know, uh, during the Vietnam War. But I have seen so many times when our country has functioned beautifully and has been something to be truly proud of. And what the country has become now, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And quite frankly, like Jeff, I, my first instinct is always, I got to go help 
I got to go take whatever skills I have and help improve our country and make it better and get it back on track. But I have reached a point here in which I really feel like I no longer know half, at least half of my country. And I'm feeling it horrendously over here. I wish I could just basically cut the emotional ties a bit more than I seem to have. But I don't know if there is enough weed in this world to keep me mellow if I move back. <laughs> Lauren? I have no intention of moving back, but that's way bigger than any election decision. I came here for university. I've lived my entire adult life in the UK. The US is my home country, but this is my home. This is where I learned how to be an adult. Like the idea of moving back, you know, sure there's family there, but that seems like the immigrant experience again, learning how to live there. That's not the life I want for myself. That's interesting because, you know, obviously we're talking about politics a lot, but there's a lot more than that. And actually it's pretty rare for people to make entire life choices based just on the politics, unless you're a refugee fleeing war or oppression, which, you know, the U.S. is bad, but it's not that level. I think it's, for me, because I had not lived across the pond before, I didn't know what another kind of lifestyle could be. You don't have to worry about guns every two minutes. Obviously, it's still a crazy city, and we've got the lockdown, and this and and that, but it's not just crazies everywhere. And I don't want to live a life where I feel unsafe, whether it's unsafe because I can't go to a party in Wisconsin and not get into war with half of the people at the party. As long as I stay in California, I do feel I'm with friends. So much of the country where friends and family live, it's not a comfortable place to be. I'm too old to not be mellow. And I spent most of my career being very intense and very driven. And that's just fine as long as you have a respite in your personal life. But this means intensity nonstop, 24-7. So it's just better to be here. Although I care about what's happening at home, I'm more invested in bringing about changes in the UK. Ultimately, decisions that happen here are going to affect me and it's a place I now call home and it's the you know place I want to fix. But I guess I do like having this, still this connection to home that I would never you know want to give up entirely because my family is always going to be there. I want to make sure they're okay and everyone else in America is okay. But while all this craziness has been happening in America, I also see it in the UK as well. Yeah. And it riles me up to be more like, let's protect where I am now to make sure it doesn't get to that point. Oh, I'm just curious, have any of you know that, uh, Lauren, it sounds like you're a very long-term expat. Has anyone here thought about actually just taking on citizenship in another country? I would love to be a citizen of the UK, but I don't want to pay the extra 1,300 pounds over the 6,000 pounds I've already just paid over the last five years. So 
That's the only reason I'm waiting, but I literally have just become a permanent resident. So congratulations. Thank you. And now my, so now my current battle is taking down the UK immigration system because it needs to yeah. stop hurting people. It's, I did a whole episode on that. And, and this is how uh, I discovered your podcast. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really messy system. And it was interesting listening to you because, yeah, I think you're definitely the most settled immigrant of anyone on this call. The thing that you're running from in the US seems to be catching up to us. Yes in the UK in many ways. And obviously, Jeff, in Turkey, it's long been there. <laughs> is there a, um, a refuge somewhere else from all these things? Or do you stop somewhere and fight it where you are? That's the thing I think I've realized is that, like I was saying earlier about how there's idiots everywhere. Problems exist everywhere. Sure, there might be on different severities, but I don't think there's some country I could go to that would feel like some sort of safe haven for everyone. And I don't want that. It feels like such a privileged thing to seek after. I've made my home, but now I'm dead set. I'm making this place better. Like, I'm going to do what I can to make sure we don't have systems in place that, like, actively hurt people. And that we're all looking to create a society where we're, like, compassionate towards others and everyone's, everyone can live an okay life. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why, totally aside from the wonderful government in New Zealand, which will undoubtedly be very quickly ruined because all of the big tech founders have gobbled up land in New Zealand. And once they decide to retire there, do whatever they're going to do over there, then Jacinda is going to have to deal with them, with big tech. And that's going to be very interesting. I know a lot of people are talking about going there. And it's a conversation in California at all the cafes about how much land Elon Musk has purchased there, et cetera. I'm always fascinated by the, the privilege associated with these conversations where people just assume that they can move to whatever country they want to. Um, hearing, hearing, you know, really wealthy people, especially in Silicon Valley, just decide that they're going to move to New Zealand without a care in the world as whether New Zealand is interested in having them is, uh, exactly. <laughs> always cracks me up. Even the like members of my family, like the, the non-Trump supporters of my family who were just like, Oh my God, if he gets reelected, I'm gonna have to leave the country and move somewhere else. And I'm just like, like, have you, have we not established how difficult it has been? Like my immigration experience, people don't just accept people. There are barriers in place to make it very difficult for you to move. Like, even with all the white privilege that you may have, you don't just pick up and move somewhere. <laughs> I've actually found that Turkey is very immigration friendly. Um, and actually Turkey, I think it hosts the largest number of refugees in the world, either the first or second in the world. It's not something I realized before I arrived here, but it is a very friendly country to foreigners and to immigrants. And it's the kind of place that a lot of expats end up settling down in. All right, we'll add it to the list of, uh, of <laughs> options. It's interesting how we're talking about caring about the politics wherever you are and, and changing where you live. I don't know if any of you have found that, but I get really riled up about politics in the UK or politics in the US, but it doesn't, it doesn't get emotional in the way that it gets emotional when it's home. Mm -hmm. Like politics in France hurt in a way that politics nowhere else will is that something that you are feeling as well i think the weird thing about america is that it's just so omnipresent <laughs> like yes 
just infiltrates everyone and everything like the amount of British people like getting in touch with me to just tell me details about the election like I didn't even know about because they are like more invested in it apparently than I am everyone is an expert in the electoral college now like, oh, exactly the world <laughs> it takes over the world even the like the shows I watch the movies I watch I'm still drawn to the more American things but yeah it has to do with being home but it's also just it's everywhere it's so easy to get at because it's just in your face all the time <laughs> Yes, the U.S. is very in your face no matter where you are in the world. And I think that with Trump in office stirring chaos on a daily basis, sometimes like through three or four news cycles, it's very hard to shut it off. And when I first came here, I used to go online and watch MSNBC. And then I, I couldn't handle it anymore because every day it kept getting worse. And every day it was yet another piece of integrity that was lost and I could do nothing about it. And so I, I switched to CNN, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> but because of my age, I went through the whole Nixon thing, whatever. And we thought that was the bottom, okay? All of us, I mean, I was a kid, but all of us thought what Nixon did was like the bottom of the barrel and it could never get any worse. And huh, this whole Trump thing has exposed every single hole and gap and loop in our constitution and in our government. The famous question, is do you feel better off now? And I cannot understand how the Trumpies feel better off. I don't get that. Of course, they say it's because we're all socialists, so whatever. <laughs> so I just lost my connection for a second. But the last thing I heard was about how America is in your face and so intense. And one of the things I always notice that I really dislike about going back to America is that it's, I've been to all these different countries. I've been exploring the societies, the cultures, the politics, the history, and I'll be working on something related to, say, North Korea uh, for a couple of years. And then, like, most recently, I went back to America, and all these people who are watching cable news, watching Fox, or, like, reading Twitter, reading their friends' comments on Facebook, they start telling me about North Korea and how Kim Jong-un, the dictator, how he operates and how he thinks and what he wants... <laughs> And what America needs to do to topple him or to stay out or whatever they think. And it's just, it's this, and I've noticed that it's gotten more and more intense over the years. Maybe it's due to social media. We're all enveloped in our own post-truth bubble of information that we just take in without thinking as critically about it. But it's just, that's one of the things that I am not looking forward to again when I go back to Washington, D.C. I'm going to have my own thoughts about, say, the Middle East and its politics and a ra random guy on the internet says, this is stupid, or like, you don't know what you're talking about. And it, mm. it's just, it's something that it's very American. And I, I haven't really noticed it in a lot of other places. There's, I think there's a more conversational style in a lot of uh, countries around the world. I don't think there's as much of a sense of I'm right and you're wrong and just listen mm -hmm. to me and people start yelling at each other. Social media isn't particularly pretty anywhere. But I've certainly noticed uh, I have social media followers from all over the world and um, the uh, pontificating 
and the mansplaining mm. always comes from a middle-aged American man, like always. Mm. And I, you know, I literally I have followers from everywhere, but it's always the same profile, let's say. So maybe something there in the culture. We love you, America. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I feel like we've um you know we've we've drawn up a pretty um a pretty dark picture. And at the same time, I mean I know it's a country that that I personally love in many ways and I keep returning to and where I've spent my formative years. So I want to believe that there is a way out of the the worst of it. And I, I wonder if if you do, kind of to conclude, if you're you know, okay, we have a president Biden, looks like. Um, you know, January twenty first, where where should he start? And um do you think there's a way back? Or forward rather than back? I think there definitely is a way forward and I think don't know how everyone else feels on this call but like yeah I was not happy to vote for Biden like was not my preferred choice um, especially living in Scotland it's made me pretty left-wing so there's definitely better <laughs> other choices better choices for that in the, in the Democratic candidates but you know just like how I said there's idiots everywhere there are good people everywhere and I think the thing I've realized as an American expat it's just you don't need to rely on like a leader to do the work for you. It's about the people living in the place that wants to put in the work to make it better. And so I think even though I don't agree necessarily with the politics of Biden, I think it's on the more progressive people in the US to like, you know, people who probably wouldn't have, you know, didn't vote for him in the primaries, keep him on his toes and make sure that he's like actually doing things that improves people's lives. Where he starts with that, <laughs> I mean, you could really pick any issue at this rate. I don't know. I hope that Americans don't just sit back and think, uh, let's see what he does, because it's not one person's job to change or make things. It's people that live in a place constantly having to say, this is what I want. This is how I think we can improve our lives. That's going to actually make changes. I've been thinking that on one hand, we have all of this horror, utter, absolute horror that we've been through over this administration. But on the other hand, I think in some respects, it's good for the country to put it all out on the table, to basically like a lot of what the Trumpies are about is like a bit of revenge over eight years of a black president. So, that was simmering, this and that, then Trump was elected, and then all of it is now regurgitated for everyone to see. And sometimes you have to have a clean slate. And so at least now we know how ugly it can get. And that may help us decide what it is that we want to save and revive. And for me, one of the main things that I have learned in being in London is what a massive difference the NHS makes. And I don't think anybody, like people in the US have absolutely no clue what it's like to get free medication and all of these things that we have. I have a friend 
in Seattle. I had a medical problem last year and a friend in Seattle had the same problem. And so he had the U.S. healthcare system and I had the NHS and I didn't have a single bill, nothing. My recovery was not blighted by having to sit there and wonder if my insurance company was going to cover something, if I was going to have to pay X amount for this medication, whatever. And one of the things that I liked, obviously, about Biden-Obama was the much maligned Affordable Care Act. But Biden and his people understand that something has to be worked out. It's not there yet, but it makes a massive amount of difference if you do not have to declare a medical bankruptcy after, I know people have had to do that because they had a complicated pregnancy. I would hope that taking that anxiety and providing us with real care, I would hope that would be a priority because I think that would ease a lot of some of the inequalities that exist in that particular area. That's one of the saddest things I think about American society today is the incredible debt loads that regular people have to take on Mm -hmm. to get basic life necessities such as healthcare or an education. We tell our students, we say, go to a good school, study hard, get into a good university. And by the way, here's your $200,000 bill that Mm -hmm. you're going to have to pay off for the next 30 years while you're struggling to pay for all your other stuff too. This cannot continue forever. A society that's constrained and almost enslaved a society that's divided between debtors and debtees. It's, it's something that has not ever worked. And it's actually something that even Thomas Jefferson uh, warned about. I think it, it might have been in the Federalist Papers or one of those. This is a theme that goes back really far. And it, the coming decade, the 2020s, we have all these advances in uh, technology happening now. We have AI. We have all these other self-driving cars. In theory, we're supposed to be approaching the age of very little work and say universal basic income. And I just wonder when is that going to happen? Or is somebody sitting in Washington DC or New York going to do, are they going to try to find a reason to keep us in debt more, to make us stay in debt, to keep us working, to keep us useful and productive, to keep us in line? I, I, I just wonder, and it's an open-ended question, where is America going to be in say the year 2030, are we actually gonna make use of a lot of the tools that we're creating now to create a better society? Or are we still gonna be paying off our massive medical bills and undergraduate education bills and, and all this? That's the question now before Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and the whole of America. I checked in with all three guests after the election was actually called. They all confessed to feeling a certain sense of relief and even a little joy at seeing the celebrations at home, perhaps more than they had expected. Are you an American abroad? What have the last four years been like for you? And how do you feel about the election? Please join the conversation. You can get into the comments on the newsletter or find me on social media. All the links are at borderlinepod.com. Thank you to my guests today, Sarah Brown, Lauren Tormey, and Geoffrey Kane. 
Jeff is the author of Samsung Rising, the inside story of the South Korean giant that set out to be Apple and conquer tech. I strongly recommend it. Samsung is a weird and fascinating company, and the book reads like a spy novel. Lauren wrote about her experience with the difficult British immigration system and the so-called hostile environment and how to change it. If you want to join her in that, you'll find the link in the show notes or on the newsletter. If you enjoy Borderline, as always, please consider becoming a member on Patreon. I swear I do a little dance whenever I get that notification. And this week I got to dance thanks to Nora Lamudi. Thank you. You can find the link at borderlinepod.com, as always, or look for Borderline on Patreon. Members get extra content, they get the episode early, and they help me keep doing this. It really means the world to me. I'm your host, Isabel Rogal. Borderline is a one-lane bridge production. Music by Diella. Talk to you next week. Thank you.